You are more powerful than you think. My name is Adam Deploy, and this is my 530. In this episode, we're talking to a good friend, Adam Duploy. Adam is one of the few people I've known and kept in touch with since my early years in Dubai. His attitude towards life is something that I have long admired. He's a pillar of positivity, a great example of believing in yourself, and seeing the best even in difficult situations. A veteran in the ultramarathon and endurance race world, Adam has conquered some of the world's toughest marathons. The Marathon de Sable in Morocco and Comrades Marathon in South Africa, to name a few. We're pleased and excited to listen to his success stories, along with its respective failures and redemption. Ironically, as much as we want the challenge and pressure to be over, it seems like that's the best part. And, as cliche as it may sound, it's always the process and journey that makes the experience fun and worth it. We hope you enjoy this episode. Adam, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure having you. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have so much to talk about. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, guys. It's, um, it's great. I've been following your progress so far. Um, it's really exciting and, um, and just kind of seeing the kind of topics that you guys are willing to cover. Um, and I hope the people who are listening today will find us with the conversation interesting, at least. For sure. Yeah. I mean, they absolutely will. I think you've got so many incredible stories to tell us. But firstly... You guys obviously both started your journey in Dubai at the same place. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, in, um, in 1998, I was planning to go to the Navy in South Africa. Uh, I finished high school in 97. And then a freak accident, I broke a finger. And then um, did the whole initial pre-training trying to get into the Navy. I made the initial assessment and then broke the thumb. And um, I was told, okay, you can take six months off. I don't need to go through the whole the prerequisite test to come back to Simon Star. Um, and then by chance, I was like, okay, maybe I'll go and be a lifeguard in Sun City, which is a resort up in the north in, in South Africa. I've been. And yeah, it's I've amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. So you would have seen the lifeguards in the Red Speedos. And I was like, okay, I want to go wear a Red Speedo Sign for six up. months, you know? <laughs> so um, yeah, I phoned a guy in um, in Durban. I said to him, listen, I, do you have any positions available in Sun City? I want to go lifeguard for, for the summer. And he's like, well, um, Sun City is full at the moment, but would you be interested in Dubai? And immediately I was like, I've never heard of Dubai. Um, I come from from a very small little town in the middle of the free state. So I was like, where's Dubai? And he's like, it's in the Middle East. And so I was like, okay, um, okay, tell me a little bit more about it. And it's like, okay, it's a new water park. It's a new big hotel. We've got the world's first seven-star hotel. So these are like pre-Google days. Like I'm giving my age away, you know, you know, so but it's like, <laughs> trying to figure out what it is. And they, they sent literally mailed through a, a little brochure of wild body of what it was going to look like. Uh, immediately, I, I will never forget seeing the, the logo of the water park for the first time and it just grabbed me it looked like the little sun. And I was like, wow, it looks amazing. And then the way they positioned the hotel and the water park. And I was like, okay, sign me up, you know? And then, um, yeah, I went up to, to Johannesburg. And um, so it's like a two, two and a half hour drive up to Joburg in two hectic traffic. I was like, my gosh, like I'm going to get lost here, you know? And I managed to find the hotel, walked into the lobby. Immediately they called out my name. And um, I was taken up to the room. And the guy's name was Mike. And uh, he walked in. He's like, how old are you? 
Russ like, okay, I'm I'm 19. He's like, do you smoke? No. He's like, do you mind if I smoke? I was like, no, go ahead. <laughs> you can smoke. And he's like, okay, that's you basically passed the interview. So good answer on that one. And then, um, yeah, just like literally 10 minutes and I was, I got, I signed an offer and then I was on my way to Dubai, you know, so arrived here in the summer of, of uh, 1999. Wow. Probably there was nothing in here. So you've seen the city like grow and flourish. Yeah. We still arrived at the old airport. So it was terminal one. Yeah. So it was like just the small, the, the flat, uh, not the, the big terminal three that we have today. So walked in there and they we were a group of about a, I think like just under a hundred lifeguards from from South Africa so and and Chris would know that we've had such a, a interesting group of people who've initially joined the company you know and I I think within a week they the, all the HR guys and security and everyone was asking themselves what have we hired here because we're all these <laughs> these lifeguards from I South Africa just I love hearing going, about the wild woody yeah, days it, it just was, sounds it was so crazy, fun you know so yeah and um within Within one year, that group of, of, call it 97 lifeguards, I think we went down to about 25. You know, so a lot of people left early. You know, the heat, it's, it yeah. was not beats lifeguarding. It was very corporate, you know. Um, yeah, and 24 years later, I'm still here. Any regrets about not joining the Navy? Did you have any desire to go back and do that after the first year? If you've been to Cape Town and you and you know how cold that water is, I'm quite glad that I'm in, <laughs> in, um, in Dubai, you know, that's uh, like, I mean, just initially to go through that training was, was quite hectic. And yes, I, there's some days I think about what my life could have been, but um, there's not one day I regret staying in Dubai, you know, like I've, I've met my wife here, uh, we've got a beautiful son, and the reality is it's like I've lived here now longer than I've lived in South Africa, which is very weird for me to think as well. Yeah, you know? this is your so, home. Exactly, you know, so... Um, we've, we went back to South Africa for one year. I think it was in 2014, no, 2012, we went back for one year, uh, back to Sun City. And uh, we stayed there for a year and we were like, mm, we, we kind of missed the, the lifestyle in Dubai and we decided to come back, you know, and we've been here ever since. So, If you can have like a, a timeline of your life in Dubai, what would sort of be like the highlight? Yeah, Chris, it's uh, quite a simple story. I think it was right in the beginning. Uh, we came in, uh, I was a lifeguard, and then um, within about six months of, of in remember it used to be quite hectic, right? Yeah. And, like, and during that time, there was a lot of people being promoted within the lifeguard department, a lot of people moving into the hotels. And then just the one day, I was like having an off day, and I went into Scott Dicey's office, and I said, hey, Scott, I'm trying to grow within the business, but I don't want to grow within the operations department. Is there something else I can do within World Body, you know? And um, Chris was like, okay, cool, give me a day or two, come back to me. And um, later that afternoon, I got ca called back into the office and he said to me, okay, tomorrow morning, report to the uh, finance office. You are now the new head cashier in World War. And he's like, hang <laughs> on, hang on. I don't want to be a cashier. He's like, no, it's not a cashier. It's, we're going to train you to become a missions manager because at the moment, the, that department was being uh, run by a guy in finance and they wanted to bring someone into more of an operational role. And then they promoted two of us into that role. And then, um, yeah, I did that job for a year. And then one of the trade show uh, trade shows met a, a lady who then offered me a job to go to Cyprus. Um, went to Cyprus, uh, did a one season there, left, went to Ireland. Then 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Because the plan was for me always to come back to Dubai. You know, when I left, I said to Dice, can I please come back to Dubai? You know, I want to go and see these places. But um, And you know what it's like in Cyprus. It's hectic, you know. Um, I did one season and then... Um, after 9-11, I, I came back. I managed to get back to Dubai, and I was with the Beats Club. Yeah, so just I, I've met so many people here. Like, again, I met someone 
randomly on the beach who offered me a job to go to Dublin to open the National Aquatic Center in Dublin and to help them prepare for the Special Olympics that they had, you know, so. That's incredible. Um, it is amazing how just one chance moment or speaking exactly. up and, you know, telling someone that you really want to seek out a new opportunity can set your life on such a different trajectory. It's, that's really cool. Yeah. And again, like everything that's happened in my life in terms of my career, I just put it down to that, that moment coming from the cafeteria saying, I've got five more minutes before I need to go back on, on position. Let me pop into Dicely's office, you know. And everywhere I go to all of the trade shows, if I do any talks, his name always comes up as, as the guy who's kind of just opened the door for me. He didn't do anything more, anything less. He just opened the door and said, take the opportunity now and, and run with it, you know, so. That's a nice yeah. little segue, run with it. How many marathons have you completed or, or, or ran? On the 42K distance, I've done 14. I've completed 14 marathons. 14 marathons. Mm -hmm. And again, now if you look back, there's there's quite established runners in, in Dubai now who's doing maybe three or four years. So um, I think when I first came onto the scene in, in Dubai, a lot of people were like kind of running kind of became my identity. And it happened by chance because um, the one day Fiona showed me a, an article in, in one of the magazines and it was the Marathon de Saab. And I think it was like 20, 20, 2008, uh, she showed me this thing and I looked at it, read the marathon. And like one of the first paragraphs, they were like saying, the story started about telling about this Italian marathon runner who disappeared in, in the marathon de Saab, right? He, one of the stages, this guy, he ran, a huge sandstorm came, and then they were like, okay, when there's a sandstorm, everyone stop, you stay in place, and then you continue once the, the storm's finished. And this Italian disappeared. Did they and, find him? Yeah, so um, the guy, they looked for him after the sandstorm, and a couple of days passed. And then if you fast forward into his world, he kind of like lost the, the route. He couldn't find his navigation, get himself back. And back then, old school, it was they gave you a map, they gave you a compass. There was no beacon to press for them to come and rescue you. And long story short, this guy walked into, to, uh, Alger I think it was Algeria. He walked into Algeria, found this little square mosque in the middle of nowhere where he could just shelter. And then uh, he sat there, no food, he finished his water. And then at one point he was decided, okay, I'm going to take my life here. And he tried to commit suicide and he tried to cut himself. But because he was so dehydrated, he, couldn't ble he didn't bleed properly, right? So he immediately would just, the blood would just go hard. And then eventually, lucky for him, he was, he was found by the um, Algerian military. And they were confused and they were like, what's this guy doing? Is he a spy? Or <laughs> like a running like, gear. <laughs> like a random guy in the middle of nowhere, you know? And then um, there's actually one of the documentaries on Netflix. He's featured as something, I think it's called Something Born Losers or something. You would see it. And they feature him in one of these, these episodes, you know? So, and that immediately grabbed me. I was like, oh, wow, this looks dangerous. And, you know, so read about the thing. So... And summary, the race is about 250 kilometers um, long. It's typically over five to six days. And then um, it is a fully self-supported race as well. So you carry all of your food on your backpack. And then um, the only thing that they would give you is like every 10 kilometers or so, they would give you water. So example, the year we did it, it was like the first day, it was like a 20, 27 kilometer. Next day, 32. Then it goes to a 40 uh, the long stage of that year was 82-kilometer stage, which is an overnight stage. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's quite an intense marathon, and that kind of, like, shaped my running identity. A lot of people see me or remember me for that race, you know, because... And also what made it a little bit harder back then, it was very difficult to just kind of research this kind of race, right? All of my equipment I had to buy from a from a company in the UK called Likes, 
And the woman would literally send me a brochure and send me some photos and saying, I think this might work for you. And then sending stuff across and the shoes are not the right size and then sending shoes back and trying to find gaiters, you know? Um, yeah. So then I signed up for, for, uh, the marathon de Saab and then, um, I'll never forget doing the, the registration form and at the, the one block they were saying, like, if you, if anything had to happen to you, where would you like the body to be relocated to? And then my wife had to sign for this. And Fiona was like, oh my God, why, why have I showed you this marathon, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it was an amazing experience. And does, um, does it always start in the same place? Where did, where did you have to travel to? So we uh, traveled into Wazirat in, uh, in Morocco, and then they drive you to a, a, a dune area called the Merzouga. And then from the Merzouga, they plot different stages for you. So you would run from, from the bivouac and they would set up a new bivouac and you go point to point to point. Right. So, and every year it changes. The route's never the same. Some years they will repeat some of the stages. So the stages stay, uh, stay the same, but they will just link them to be a little bit different. It depends on like the dune formation or like... Yeah. And just kind of like how technical they want to make it. How, how did you feel like, you know, with the gun time, it starts and you're like, okay, here we go. I'm going to run 250 kilometers in the Sahara desert. How does that feel? I'm having goosebumps right now, just thinking about it and putting myself in that situation. Yeah. I think it was such a journey to get there that by the time that you arrived there, so I remember being on the plane flying to Morocco and the, there was these bunch of friends, guys sitting with us and the people started mingling and talking and the guy came to me. It's like, um, so what kind of gear do you have? What kind of backpack do you have? So I'm like, kind of like, you know, so he says to me, and I think at that stage, the weight limit on your bag is 16 kilograms, you know, so because you've got to carry all your food and everything's in the back, right? Um, so he says to me, what is the, what is your bag weighing? So I'm like thinking, oh, it's all cool. So I was like, no, my, my bag's only 12 kilograms, right? And this guy's eyes is like 12. And he's like, it's shouting at the whole plane, guys, this guy's bag's 12 kilograms. And I'm like thinking, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> so says to him, how much is your bag weigh? He goes, my bag's five kilograms. <gasps> And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, yeah. Then I realized, okay, this is, this is a big thing, right? <laughs> and I um, arrived in Morocco and then the, the, the first two days that we were in the desert, I was trying to figure out what to share, right? It's like kind of like what kind of food to get rid of and what kind of snacks to get rid of. Because you've got to pack, so they will check you pack for day one, day two, day three, you know, and you've got to meet a certain caloric uh, intake for the day, you know? And then um, I think so many people that year, also just two, three days into the race, people just started chucking stuff that you don't need. You know, you mm. would arrive there as an example. Yeah. And the guy, he would drink water from a plastic bottle and the next thing, he cuts the bottle and that's his water bottle for the week, right? He, he's not carrying a tin cup or titanium cup that I bought <laughs> for like 600 dirhams, basically, you know, as he's got like a little plastic thing. People were sleeping on, on bubble wrap, you know, to, to not carry a sleeping bag, so... Um, yeah, so I mean, to to get back to starting on that, being on the starting line, it just the gun went off, and the first thing that I saw is is just like people taking off, right, looking like they are running a twenty-one kilometer race, and I was like, hang on, people, calm down, we still have six days left, and you know, five hundred and forty-seven kilometers left, or two hundred forty-seven k's left. So yeah, um, kind of just settled into to day one. I was on day one. I came in. I was the first person from our tent in. And I was like, hmm, I think I've got this. This is okay. I'm, I'm going to do okay, you know, because we were six people staying in our tent. And then um, day two, uh, we went, started going into the mountains and then um, went up this mountain and immediately I could just start feeling blisters forming on my heels, right? Uh, and trying to manage it. And then um, 
I came into the tent that, that day. I think I came in third. And then at the end of the third day, these blisters literally expanded on my heels. They were terrible, you know, to the point where like on day five and six, I was running in, in Havianas. I just taped it to my feet with really? duct tape. Uh, I just remember rolling this duct tape that Fee said, I'm not going to need. I was like, I'm going to need it now. And duct taping the, the shoe to my, to my foot, you know? So, um, that's yeah. A, that's insane. I remember you showing me your, your, your feet cheering one of the stops. You see, it, I, it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my right foot was completely destroyed. Um, really? Left foot wasn't good. And it was on the long stage. So the long stage was 82 kilometers. And I had a, it was tough for me. And also during that time, I was, the, the, the reason why I went to Morocco was to try and um, highlight the course for autism, you know, to support the Dubai Autism Center. Um, I was working closely with the Ernie Els Foundation as well um, for them to, to just raise awareness for Autism Speaks. Mm-hmm. And, and during that time in Dubai, it was still kind of like, no one talked about autism, you know, and it was something close to my heart. So it's like every single day that, that went past in that desert, I was like, I cannot stop, you know. And I actually should have brought my book, but um, my friend Hayden, he, Fiona made a little moleskin book for me. And Hayden wrote the first message in this book and um, basically just said, listen, you're going to have a good time. Uh, there's going to be times uh, that you feel like you want to give up. And there's going to be people who believe in you. And there's going to be people who definitely doubt that you're going to be able to finish it. But make, my, or make yourself just one promise that you will never, ever give up. You know, on your darkest day, darkest hour, Sit down, find the tree, cry, get rid of it, stand up and, and finish this race, you know. So then on this 82-kilometer stage, I went into the night, and I remember going down into the wadi. And um, as I got into the wadi, there was a group of people busy attending to one of the runners who collapsed, you know. So I tried to help this guy, and they're like, no, it's fine, help's on the way, go for it. So into the night I go with my map and my compass, trying to follow the, the little signs that they've got, you know. So it's quite difficult to spot it. So... Um, an hour or so passed, and I'm, my spirit is up now. For the first time during the race, I've got my little iPod shuffle going, listening to music, <laughs> singing at the top of my voice. I'm feeling as high as a kite. And then um, just the next thing, I just remember feeling something on the back of my leg. And I got my headlamp on, and as I looked down, there was this camel spider busy climbing my leg. Yeah, And then I did a proper South African Zulu dance, trying to get this thing off my <laughs> leg. And where you point the light, that's, this is where the camel spider, so he literally follows the light. And the faster I'm trying to run away, the, the harder this guy's trying to keep up with me. And I've got flip-flops on, duct tape to my feet. With blood all over And I'm you. running, and I've got this backpack, and I'm ripping the thing out to kind of, like, just to see if I can hear anything, you know. And eventually the spider has gone, and my heart's racing. I was like, oh, my goodness, I forgot about the camel spiders, right? And I try to compose myself and go, go, go. And in the, in the distance, I see some people. I was like, okay, humans, at least there's some <laughs> humans. And I get to the point and it's the same people that I found when I entered the, the, the wadi earlier. And I've literally walked along a wall without noticing it and circled back to these people. No way. And they way. saw me and they were surprised, like, what are you doing, doing back here? And I was like, what are you guys doing? If you move, they're like, no, we haven't moved. You know, so just that whole spider thing kind of like I've missed the checkpoint or like a little, because they'll put little arrows and markers yeah. and, and trees, you know, and I missed the mark and then not paying attention, being tired, you know, and then a uh, circle back eventually made it out of the wadi um, got to camp that night and uh, we had an option to sleep over on the long stage. So I was like, okay, I've made the cutoff point to this area. I'm going to sleep um, and continue the next morning. So 
next morning when I woke up, feeling good, I feel rested. And it was like one of those just perfect scenery things where you wake up and it's like you see these perfect dunes. Um, there's a camel like lying 10 meters away from me, the tents, the, some of the bivouacs, you know. And um, as soon as I try to stand up, my foot like, just collapsed. And so what's happened is when I was running with the, the Aviana, the bottom of my toe was like chafing and the sand collected underneath my foot. So it, it made like a big, looked like a big dollar coin under my foot. And I could not put any pressure on my foot. And I was like, you know what? That's it. I think I'm done. Like I can literally, my feet bug it, my ankle starting to swell. I'm struggling here. You know, I'm not running now anymore for time. I'm just running now to try and finish this thing, you know. How, how much further did you have left to go? Um, so this was 82k state. So I would have had probably about 30 something on that day. And then I would have had a 42 and 21k left. So three days left, right, in the race. And um, I removed the, um, the little timer on my leg. And I, I hobbled across to the, to the administration table. And it's like, again, just like it would be in the movies. This French dude with his desert jacket on, his hair's completely in a mess. And uh, one of the organizers, and he's like, he came over to me and he's like, where are you going? And I was like, I think I'm done. You know, I need to call it a day, explain to him what's happened. And um, he, he said to me, why are you doing this race? Why are you here? Why are you standing here in front of me today? And I was like, I'm here because I'm here, first of all, for my family. I'm here for me and I'm here to, to run for my charities, the, the ELSE Foundation and Dubai Autism Center. And um, yeah, he just put his arm around me and he said to me, you've come too far to give up now. And um, he, like, he started tearing up, I started tearing up and I was like, no, you're right, I cannot give up now. You know? I'm about to tear up. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's like, and he's like, let's go to the doctor station, we'll try and help you, see what's happening and if they can sort you out, please promise me you'll go because I'm telling you now, the moment you give that tag into the table, within a couple of hours, you'd want to have that tag back. Do not give it back, right? So I followed his advice. We went to the clinic. There was a very efficient doctor. I looked at the thing under my foot, like nonchalantly, like, okay, what? this is hardly a problem. And took a little scalpel, made a tiniest of cut, put a little um, saline bag underneath it, sprayed yeah. and squirted it, and then stand on your foot. And I stood on my foot and I was like, normal. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to like trying to find where's the pain. No, there must be pain somewhere. It's like, no, there's no pain. Here I go. And then, um, yeah, the friends dude walked me back. I put my shoes on. He put the backpack on my back and walked me to the starting line for that day. And he's like, here I go. You know, and I continue and like looking back now, um, and we can talk a little about, about comrades as well, but if I would have given up on that day, I think it would have been hanging over my head for a very long time. You know, like on that final day, the, the 21 kilometers was a complete pure dune day over the Merzuga dunes. It's the most amazing, beautiful desert you would have seen. You know, it's like huge rolling dunes and super tough, but there was no, like I knew it was done, right? It was in the back pocket and um, crossed the finishing line at a very anticlimactic moment, right? Like you crossed the line and and Patrick Bauer, the race organizers, they're giving you the, the medal and he kisses everyone on the cheek and, and bravo, well done. And then you go plot your bag down and your race is over, right? And immediately I was like, what's next? Like, this is done now, right? This is like two years of work finished. I've, I've got the medal, it's it's accomplished. And then um, one of the things I've learned is, is like, you, you should never rest on your accomplishments, right? Because the very next year and 
2011, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Tough marathon. It's between Peter Maritzburg and, and, um, and Durban. And each year it alternates, but they call it the up run or the down run. How long do you give yourself to like prepare for something like that? So for Comrades, what makes Comrades difficult to repair here is because they run it in June in, in South Africa. So typically you want to start in December, start building up towards the middle of the year. So you give yourself six months. Um, but it does get pretty hard here from April onwards for people training here to do that race because it gets so hot, right? Um, and people back home, they would go into winter season and yeah. it's easier for them to train and, and ramp the mileage, right? Um, and also what was difficult that time is it's just to mix work with, with running as well. You know, um, if you wanted to have any sort of mountain running, you've got to drive to Hatta to try and get into the hills mm-hmm. uh, and to, to run there. So I went into comrades, my, my first comrades, um, with, uh, injury on my, on my hip, I had a flexor injury, not nothing major, but I didn't manage it well. So I got to Durban, um, got to the expo. I saw Zola, Bad. she's one of the famous South African runners. And immediately when I walked up to the expo stand, she's like, are you running? I was like, yeah. She's like, you've got like a little bit of a limp. Are you injured? I was like, no. <laughs> I, I had a hip flex issue before, but I think it's sorted. Yeah, started Comrades and I made it to, so that year I think it was 92 kilometers long. And I got to 67 kilometers. How, how's the terrain? Terrain is like you run on the road, but what makes it hardest is because there's very, very strict um, cutoff times. So when you start the race, so it's a 12-hour cutoff period. And if you, if you can imagine, if you have 50,000 people standing at the starting line, you, your time only starts once you cross the starting line. So if you, towards the back, it can take you between 8 minutes to 12 minutes for you to even just get to the starting line. Once you cross the starting line, you are minus 12 minutes. Mm. You understand? Okay. So yeah. you have to make it in. And then also they have a very brutal cutoff period. So when you get to the, the finishing line, you can literally be a meter away from the finishing line. If the guy, they've got a guy who walks out and he has a pistol. And yeah. when he fires it at exactly 12 hours, they close the, the line. So I can literally be here and you would be a DNF, did not finish, right? So it's, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's a, it's a, if you watch that last half an hour of that race, it's brutal to see the people. Oh, there. it's heartbreaking. Yeah, so I, uh, I managed to come in at like 67 kilometers. I started walking I was having pain and then um again just a doctor came up to me and he's like and he was the complete opposite to the guy I had in 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 the desert right where he looked at the injury said okay you're wobbling too much uh you'll have to do a very strong walk run method from you otherwise you're not going to make the cutoff time and immediately he planted the seed yeah okay maybe you will not make the cutoff time and then I was walking and I had quite a bit of discomfort and then you know one of the sweeper buses came past I lifted my hand and I jumped onto this bus and uh, getting I got into the back of the bus and I phoned my friend, Hayden. He was the first guy I called. I was like, but when he answered the phone, I couldn't talk. I was so choked up. I was like, I could not speak. I, you know, I was like, and I basically said, listen, I, 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 I couldn't finish this race today, you know, and looking for various excuses, like I got injured and this and the doctor and the, you know, and walking away and what, the cool thing about comrades, if you run it two years consecutively, you get a, a back-to-back medal. So immediately that was done for me. Like you can come back the next year and finish it, but you'll never be able to run the back-to-back and get that medal. So that medal was gone for me, you know. So um, the the lesson that I just learned there was just like that if you have a person who just put any sort of doubt in your mind versus the guy who was in, in, in the Sahara with me, you know, it just really depends on who you surround yourself with right 
so yeah, it was it was it was bad. But um, yeah, I went I went back to comrades now, and I've I've got two medals, you know, so two two <laughs> down medals. So I still need a, an up run. So uh, the plan was to do it in twenty twenty, and then obviously we know the world shut down in in twenty twenty. So we can do that. Are you planning uh, on doing it uh, the next year or so? Um, or I definitely want to go back. I need to get a down run. Uh, like I said, or, or an up run. I've got two down runs, so I've got to go back and 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 finish that business. And I I believe I still have it in me to run that. But there's like such a variety of cool races in the world now that you can participate. And I in 2016 I did the New York City Marathon. Um, again I went to New York with like went with Mariana if you yeah. can remember Mariana, and um arrived there. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing, the biggest marathon in the world, and. By chance, I don't know how I, how I pulled it off, but I managed to start in the B, so the second wave in Group A. So literally standing on that Verrazano Bridge, and you've got fifty thousand people behind you, and I was standing right in front. I even better spacing than what Casey Nice did last year, right? That's like crazy. Literally <laughs> looking across the bridge, and I was like, okay, this is going to be amazing, right? And the gun went off, and I sprinted across that bridge, and. I think it's just under three kilometers to get across and down. And I just looked at my time and I was like, dude, you're going too fast. I'm going to blow you today because just that adrenaline, right? You've got helicopters flying and you've got the, the, the Coast Guard spraying water in the sea. And it's amazing, like just that whole vibe. And then, um, yeah, I managed to run a PB in, in New York, you know, so which was amazing for me. I, the plan was to run four hours and I ran like a, I think I ran a 346 in New York, you know, so I'd love to go back to that again. A sub four, that's... Yeah. That's always a dream for many. Yeah, you know. So, I I still think I've got a. I can get close to a three thirty if I train properly. But again, is that the goal for me now, or do I want to focus more on trying to get into races and 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 to continue with that? Right. Do you typically train in the morning? Like, what time of day are you getting up, and or is it more of a nighttime thing that you do after work? For me, again, I, I try and do middle of the day. Oh, really? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I I I like to put myself out there when it's extreme, right? So it's either cold or it's super hot, or it's super humid. Like, I, I kind of like that environment. So, like, I, I do enjoy running at night. But for me, if I if I have the possibility to go and do a midday run, I'll... There's this one instance where, in like, my friends and I, uh, we went to Wadi Shauka. We drove super early in the morning to hike up. And on our way back, that was probably, like, around, like, 12 noon. And it was super hot. And then I see, like, three dudes walking. And I was like, these guys look crazy. It's already hot. It's May, and the sun's so high now. <laughs> As we walk closer, I see Adam with two friends, and I'm just like, it's it's 12 p.m. And now when you mention, like, midday run, and I'll never forget, like, you would sometimes, you know, would ski on the beach and then run. And what, what is there something about midday on a hot yeah, summer's it's just, day? Yeah, it's just that heat. I just, for me, it's just, it's just if I'm going to go out there, it's you've got to be able to, but do you ever just go for like a 20-minute jog? Yeah. You do? No, no, for sure. You're like, oh, this That's, is, you know, It's not always chill. extreme, but like for me, it's like if I go out, I'd like, if I do a 20-minute run, if it's in the hottest part of the day, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's nice. But I do also enjoy going out early in the morning and having a nice cool run in when the weather's good, right? It's not yeah. all the time, but it's like I do, I do like to try and push it a little bit. Do you have any advice for people who are like complete beginners but have an aspiration to do something like a marathon or even just become someone who runs on a consistent basis. Yeah. I, listen, I think the, the problem that we have nowadays is that people are, they are living on, on their phones 
right? And they're living in their minds. And it's it's so easy to kind of like get stuck into your mind and saying, I cannot do this. I am not a runner. I'm not a cyclist, you know? Um, it is as simple as like kind of like getting off the couch and just start walking. That would motivate them to go out. So it's sometimes very easy. And I would say, for, for instance, for myself, I love to train alone. I One or two people maximum. You know, if we go mountain biking, um, you would n- never see me run with a large group of, group of people. Not because I don't like people. I just kind of like being in a quiet space, doing a bit of meditation, and having people that I like around me, right? But if you are, if you, for instance, there's this new uh, group that I found on Instagram that runs along the beach. I think they call the Jumeirah Johns. I like their page, and immediately they reached out and said, listen, if you're a runner, non-runner, please feel free to join us at any time. So there's what's so cool about Dubai now, there's so many of these different um, activities, different groups that you can get involved in, and, and you can be a complete beginner, and you don't have to worry about trying to keep up with people who are training for for like 100 mile races, right? So you, but you have to have that willpower and to, to just say, step out and go and do it. You know, talk about mountain biking. I think you just recovered from an injury or operation. And I, yeah. I saw you like I power guess. through the bike and averaging 250 watts post surgery. Yeah. How do you do That's just insane. 250 watts is like a lot of power. Yeah, I've, I've always been strong on the bike. Um, the mountain bike is my, it's one of my stronger events. So recently uh, on the 11th of January, so cycling back home on a, on a beach cruiser and then smacking into the back of a golf buggy that was left on the road, right? And then um, again, I tried to phone Fiona. She was busy at work. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to have to call the ambulance. And then <laughs> I was in the ambulance when she called me Poor back. Oh, Fiona. <laughs> and then um, the phone rang. Or I picked the phone up and she's like, oh, you won't believe it. I just came out of this meeting. Now I was like, okay, hang on. I'm going to have to stop you right there. Don't panic. But I'm in the back of an ambulance. It's like, what? Why are you in the back of an ambulance? You know? Yeah, so it was like a freak accident broke the leg, and then um, the, we took a week to see if it'll recover. And then the doctor's like, "No, we're gonna have to put a plate on the fracture." And then uh, I was eight, I was out for eight weeks. And the the irony is, is like three days before I broke my leg, I decided I was gonna get a new bike. So this the bike was coming. Yeah. So um, and then they delivered the bike to the house, and it sat there. Uh, my friend who, who dropped it off was like, "Don't put any seat on top of the bike." Because if there's a seat on top of the <laughs> bike, I'm going to try and sit on it, right? And maybe try and go down the road a little bit. And then um, eventually I got the clearance from the doctor to say, okay, go and ride. And then went out the first day. I had Fiona standing in front of the house, like a proud mom, trying to see if I can still ride my bike. And it's like, okay, I'm going out for a little bit. And I can just see she's like, oh, here we go again, you know? So, yeah. And it didn't affect anything because my, my power was still in the upper legs. Um, and the, the fracture is completely set now. So... It is not just basically trying to heal the scar tissue on my knee, you know, to try and just get that back down. Because I think running for me is still at least another six months out, I think. So. Are you itching to get back or? Um, I'm going to get on the bike now and I'll swim. Yeah. Yeah, well. And then um, I'll resume my ice therapy again. And I brought the Saudi board as well. Yeah, tell us about this. Um, So just before we started the podcast, I got you guys to stand on this board. So basically, the the Saudi board is like a, uh, if you would have seen in the movies, see these. The guys in India sleeping on the nail beds, so it's very similar to that. So the the board that I've got here is an advanced board. So during the summer, when my family went away for for the break, um, I stayed in Dubai, and then I signed up for like a twenty day challenge with a a, a company called Cool Out Breathing, and um, it was a twenty day challenge of, of doing ice bath, standing on Saudi board, uh, doing a plank movement or holding a plank, 
then on the first day we did the side board and, and everyone was very keen on the ice. Everyone to because you know in Dubai now everyone's trying to jump into ice bars, you know. Uh-huh. Um and I saw the side board and immediately it kind of like tickled something. It's like, man, that looks really intense, right? <laughs> and then um for the first day when I stood on it, I, I did just over a minute and I was like pretty pretty stoked with it. And then um so basically what it does is it's just all these uh, pressure points underneath your feet. It just kind of focuses on that. So wherever your injuries on your body, it kind of directs energy into your body. So like I would stand on this board for three minutes and you would just immediately start sweating. You can literally feel it lighting your body up, you know. So my longest time on this board was like 20 or the first, the longest one I did was 15 minutes on the third day. So I thought, okay, cool. I've got this thing waxed. And then on the fourth day, I came back and I could not stand on this board for longer than a minute. So uh, the guy who's coaching us, Benoit, so I stood on the board and I had this super confidence from getting off the board the next, the day before, 15 minutes beating one of my friends, you know, um, stood on the board for the longest. And then immediately when I stood on that thing and like within 30 seconds, my body was screaming, get off, get off, get off. And um, as I was about to step off Benoit, just we've got like a little footstool in front of you and he pulled it away and he shouted at me stay on the board stay on the board don't get off and I was like trying to get off the board and then I, I broke the 15, 15 minute record that day but it's a, it's just one of those things where well, one day it'll be kind to you and the next day it can punish you completely so um, yeah uh, 20 days on this and it brought me back to, to full running so who knows and this is an advanced board right so people if they were interested could look at getting like a beginner like for yeah. me yeah because get a beginner board so I think this is 12 mil and then the beginner board would be six millimeters. So they space them much closer together. So you've got a bigger surface area to stand on. Yeah. I would love to have one of these. It, it just like resets your mind and focus on what's important. Yeah. There's some cool videos. I mean, you're like you see people doing a, a back handstand. Like they do like backflip and they just like land. Yeah, it's great. Wow. And you see there's a, there's a Russian dude actually, he stands on top of the board, he rolls his foot and he'll do it all, jump back onto the board. So I'm not... There's some, there's, the sensation is so addictive. Yeah. That's why, like I said, when I'm working, I keep it under the table. Yeah. And you keep your foot on it and just rolling it around. So that's Thank amazing. You. Thank you for showing us. Thanks for bringing this. No, it's cool, man. This is I'm glad a, you guys got to experience it. This is really nice. I think I really want to do the challenge now. The plank challenge? I love challenges. Like, uh. Also, like okay. doing it, like we can when start it, off once once we <laughs> yeah. like this. playing for five minutes. <laughs> True, on a bed of nails. You guys should come out with me one day. I'll take you out for the ice bath. Yeah, I've never, I've never tried ice bath, but I've done it many times in Iceland, which is, I think, equally as cold. Yeah, but I, w- I would love to try it. I can imagine this combined with the cold water therapy of the ice baths was yeah. just <laughs> that's tor- amazing. That's torture. Yeah, I have done that before. I lasted two minutes. You oh, did? cool. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Is it? Yeah. I, listen, okay. for, for the ice, it's, again, the ice is such a mental thing. Yeah. Um, there are still days when I get in the ice now where I, my body still gets that fight or flight. I want to get out, you know. And we've got, to, I, I know some really cool people who coaches us in the ice, you know. So um, we've, we've built like a very good um, relationship with this, these guys in, in terms of just keeping us in there. But like, I would like to say as well as it's like the Saudi board's good and the um, the ice is good, but like, the biggest difference I would have seen, and if I can recommend this to anyone, is it's like, and it doesn't take, you don't need any equipment, you don't need, you basically go to YouTube and you just search a Wim Hof breathing video, right? Um, that has probably made the biggest difference in terms of just like controlling emotions, the way you feel, you know, any sort of anxiety that you might have. Like for instance, when I did this, this course with these guys, uh, there were 10 of them in the group and um, I've never seen such a transformation like 
10 completely different people, right? So uh, people in the corporate environment, people who are entrepreneurs, young people, people in their 50s, you know, and they came in and there was this huge, everyone worried about the ice and everyone worried about the board. Um, but once the group grasped the concept of the breathing, that made the biggest difference. Breathing, like proper breathing, does wonders. Can I just ask on the on the retreat that you did where you were doing this sardu board, for the planks, how long how long were people planking for? So we do the normal plank, right? So when we started, I think the goal was for everyone to do two minutes. And I think more than half of the group can do two minutes. And the goal was to get to the 20 days and to plank for five minutes. Okay. You know? And at the end of the 20 day, everyone achieved the... The, the 20, the five yeah. minutes, yeah. Let's do a plank challenge. What's next for you? Yeah, it's a tough question. I don't know, uh, to be honest. Um, I'd, like I said, I, I think I would like to go back to Morocco. I definitely have one Morocco left of me. And then um, there's a couple of cool marathons, like the seven marathons in seven days, um, where they run on each of the continents, which is which is very cool. But again, it's, um, it's very costly to run. Um, it's very weather dependent. So, you know, you can get to mm-hmm. New York, run the American section and then not fly, fly to the Arctic and then the race is off, right? So um, I think for the main part for me now is just to get back running, right? To, to, to get back on my legs and uh, get over this injury and then, then start running. Um, I, I'd love to do like the Cape Epic, which is a mountain bike race. So that's also a very cool race. So it's like a five-day race in Cape Town um, and they go around the winelands and up the mountains, super tough. Uh, tough bike race so um yeah but let's see do you think the the techno because because you're like part of like the og old school runner club that you know just like trusted with your guts and a map and running shoes do you think the technology today would help a non-runner run marathons yeah to be honest with you i'd say don't worry about the technology to be honest with you i, I think sometimes also you would see people rock up at races and they are completely kitted out, right? They've got the latest Nike carbon-plated shoes that's not even made for them, right? I'll give an example. I did the, the Dubai Marathon with Aiden. I cannot remember which year it was, but it started here in front of the old um, Hard Rock Cafe where the American Unit University... See, sorry, I referred to Hard Rock Cafe. The yeah. classic Hard Rock Cafe. So um, the race started there. And this dude came past myself and Hayden and he had like literally a pair of board shorts on and he was wearing, I'll never forget, he had like high van socks. And I was saying to Hayden, this dude, I think he wants to run the 10K, but he's in the marathon starting. But then I check his number and he's got a, a, a marathon bib. So I was like, okay, cool. Good luck. I mean, you know, good luck to this dude. And um, he had his cap backwards. I don't know where he parked his skateboard, but anyway, um, the race went off and we got onto Jumeirah and we were running. And then at one point, we were coming back and this dude passed us near Old Beach Club. So that meant that he was probably about 6Ks ahead of us, running in his board shorts, vans and, and high socks, right? And he was cruising. Yeah, and he would, have, he, that, he would have gone in under 330, 100%, right? So again, you could see he had no gear. But he was like operating like a like an expert. So I I think don't get too sucked into to to gear and you know. So um, there was a South African runner. Her name is Hadda Stein. She came to Dubai I think 2016 
Um, she came out as a quantity surveyor and uh, she joined one of the running groups um, and she just did it purely for a social run, right? She signed up for the Dubai Marathon and then um, I think she came in like the top, she was in the top 50 or something. And even like I listened to one of her uh, interviews yesterday where she was like saying even when she was at school, she was never a super competitive runner, never, no idea, right? And she went on to now win the, the um, Comrades Marathon a couple of times. She's one comrade. She's done a back-to-back on Comrades and Two Oceans. She's won the Two Oceans Marathon three times. She's now next weekend trying to get it for the fourth time, to win it four times. Just by not knowing she's a runner, by starting off here, running in a group, and then all of a sudden her talent just, yeah, it came out that she's got a natural talent for for being, and she quit a day job. She's a professional runner now. <laughs> That's terrific. That's, That's really unbelievable, cool. right? So Good for her. You know, so find your tribe and just find what works for you and, um, you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, you, you've got to do something that you enjoy and uh, something that you're passionate about, but don't do nothing. You know, I, I see a lot of uh, people in, in this environment as well that get sucked into a Dubai life where there's so much more to Dubai than just going out. And there's a very cool, outdoorsy, sporty, desert lifestyle, you know. Beach, exactly. Yeah, swimming. There's a lot of open, open water swimming, thinner battling now. Um, it's it's buzzing. If you if you don't get involved in any of the other stuff, there's so much to do for you, you know, for in your personal life that can that can definitely benefit you. There's like lots of treasures in there with the training and the marathons. What's your favorite apart from like I'm pretty sure like it's New York Marathon. What's your top three favorite marathons that you've ran? I would definitely say I think New York, obviously, because it's I had such a good race then. I would love to go back. And run, like it sounds stupid to say this, but I would like to go back and run it slower because I got to the end of that marathon and thought like a, a, good, a good time for me, but it felt like I missed so much in terms of like just soaking up because you so many people high fiving yeah. and you know, so um, that's pretty cool. Um, I think I would like to try and do um, like a, a London marathon, definitely up there. I know Fiona would, would love to get into that marathon as well. She's uh, Fiona's actually run Dubai Marathon. Um, what, yeah. I got oh, her. Oh, cool. Yeah, she, she did Dubai Marathon with me, I think, 2016. And um, yeah, and this, my wife's got a lot of determination. So she, she trained super hard for that race. And um, we we did the marathon with her. And then um, so we that was the year that they just opened the that bridge over the canal. And she wasn't happy about that because she because thought it, it was like a flat uphill, bridge. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, no, we're going to go over this hill. We we got it through the race. Yeah, and she, she finished that race. So that was pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, for me, it's definitely, I want to, the other one would be the Two Oceans 50 kilometer in South Africa. So that's also considered to be an ultramarathon. Because it's one of the most scenic races in the world. Adam, <laughs> you are incredible. We can just like sit here and listen to you all day. <laughs> it's really amazing. Yeah, listen, I, you'll be surprised. I'm way more average than, you know, there's a lot of amazing people out there. Like my, my message to people are always is like, you are way more powerful than you think. Way more powerful you limit yourself in terms of what you can achieve in life. It's it's so easy now to sit, go go onto your phone today and look at how many subscriptions you have to the likes of a Netflix, a YouTube, Amazon TV. Yeah. It's never ending. Exactly. So it is, we are so conditioned now to just, one of the things that really irks me is it's just when I'm, for instance, if I go and pick up Josh at school, as an example, I would um, walk into the school and I would try and see how many people are holding their phones, first of all, having a phone in the hand, yeah? And secondly, how many people are not looking up at all 
Like we are missing so much. The, the, I love my phone. I, I love YouTube. I love watching stuff. But try and find time for it and, and, and make space for it. That's that's normal. But you have to make that space because immediately you know what it's like now. And this is this is the reason why I take time off from from any digital equipment and just like would drive to the desert and just enjoy the scene. You know, at least like twice a week if I could. Yeah, yeah. It's important to switch off. Hey, eh? like as much as you want to utilize it, use it. But like it's it's more important to kind of get out of that world and just back into our real world. Yeah. And you'll be so surprised, right, if you are just walking around, for instance, where I live in the Springs, just in terms of just the people who are working within the facility. So your gardeners and the cleaners and the security guard, you'll be surprised when you engage people, how shocked people sometimes are. Like, yeah. you, uh, they don't expect so it at all. Like, oh, what, is this? what a weird, yeah. what what a weird guy. Why are you talking exactly, to me? Exactly, you know. Um, so when you engage people, sometimes it, it shocks them, right? It's a bit weird. Yeah, so just just get out there, do it. Do what's good for you, you know, get out of your head, you know, be active, move, move, move. That's that's all I can say. Yeah, and if you need an inspiration, go direct to the source, which is nature, not your yeah. phone. You know, that will be way, way better. As much as we don't want this conversation to end, we'd like to thank you for sharing with us your experiences and everything that you've got today it's like literally yeah. we can just like Adam, sit. you're so inspiring honestly like the mentality and the determination and like the strength even to overcome your, like your current injury to then go ahead and plan the crazy race that we are all now going to be supporting you on no, I appreciate it really it. is amazing we can just like sit here for like hours and listen to you talk and i'm pretty sure the listeners are going to feel the same no, I appreciate so it. much in the back it was fun talking to you guys and you know and like an like I'm excited to see where you take this I, I think it's going to be amazing and um, yeah we're thank trying you. thanks very thank much you. So thank you for inviting me 530 is 100% organically handcrafted by Chris Dabu and Sophie Ryan you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and participate in Q&A's on Spotify and if you haven't already please subscribe to 530 on Spotify Apple Podcasts Stitcher or where awesome podcasts are available This has been a 530 production.